This is a Media Lab podcast. Okay, can you play that triangle? Can you just hit your triangle again, Dave? Uh, it goes this way. Am I holding it correctly? I hit the bar no, with the triangle, right? You're holding it upside down again. Okay, here. Now, hit it again. Great. Now, I'm going to try my, my stupid trumpet here. What are we doing this for again? I told you, the machine is, has made it very, very clear that if we don't do a performance, that the rec center is going to close down. What What is a rec center again? Oh my God, good question. I, hmm. You know what? I have absolutely no idea. This is why we have to save it. This goddamn machine has hoodwinked me again. <laughs> hoodwinked. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave versus, 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 versus the machine. The machine. Oh, you don't know that this show actually takes place in the 1950s? I should have made that very, very clear. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And my name is David. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Uh, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Uh, and for some reason, this machine really wants us to talk about the year 1999. We continue on. This week, by talking about the movie, Superstar. Superstar. Ever since I was a little girl, the one thing that I wanted more than anything in the entire world was a kiss. Please, God, send me someone to make out with and to kiss like this. To dream the impossible dream. He drive me crazy. The unreachable star. Sorry. I was just doing my part to save the rainforest. And one day, I saw the one who I wanted to kiss. Sky Corrigan. Is that the prettiest girl in all of St. Monica's? All signs point to yes. Then it hit me. There was only one way I'd ever get what I wanted. I would have to become exactly like those people in the movies. I would have to become... A superstar. Dave, we definitely need to start here. This is a film based on a Saturday Night Live character. So I, I want to go uh, basically, what is your experience? What is your backstory with Saturday Night Live as the institution, this character, and then finally this movie? Well, blanket statement, big Saturday Night Live fan. I think I started watching it during the so-called golden years of the Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Chris Farley, that era, early 90s. And I was allowed to watch just because we had something called a VCR, which could tape... A video could, containment recorder. Which could tape cable television shows that occurred at night. Oh, you viewing. had cable television. Wow, look, a fancy Torontonian over here. That's how we do. That's how we do. And uh, and then I could watch it on the Sunday when my parents weren't mm. paying attention. I mean, all that stuff was, was, you know, you go to school and you have to talk about... It's kind of like The Simpsons. Simpsons was Sunday night, at least where, you know, in the... Uh, yep. 
in the metropolitan areas of the uh, country. Kyle, it was on a Sunday night. <laughs> we got it five <laughs> weeks later on a Wednesday. That's uh, they had to deliver it first. Our our delivery of Simpsons episodes. It came in the mail, uh, yeah. so we had to. You know, it's social capital. You got to show up on a Monday, and if you don't know the jokes, uh, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we used to say you're fucked. Yeah, and I'm actually curious if that if that even has any type of relevance today. I don't feel it does. Like as more and more people have gone over to streaming, definitely there'll be that discussion of like, have you seen the new season of Stranger Things? Or have you seen this new other show or movie? But it doesn't feel like, oh, everyone is watching the same thing at the same time. It's like, hey, no spoilers until I see it later this week. And then we'll circle back and like have this conversation. It's just a very different dynamic. It feels like it was the peak of the power of television, particularly cable. There was, mm-hmm. it was culture forming. And while it still exists in culture, it's been left behind for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And we were just, I don't know if it'll be on air, but we were just talking about the idea that there are still situational comedies being created for cable television networks. I had no idea. I haven't been on cable television in more than eight years uh, and I'm fine. I'm doing great, <laughs> Kyle. Thanks for asking. I'm just fine. <laughs> I mean, you tried to do your own haircut by the looks of it, so I don't know how fine. Uh, I paid for this, and uh, oh. I'm happy. Uh, no, I, so then uh, going into the late '90s, you know, when that uh, cast left, and many of them trans translated very well into the movie industry. Chris Rock did well. Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, we've discussed. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Phil Hartman's life uh, right. and Chris Farley's were cut short. It's depressing now that I've just reflected, but they had. They they were they could have been big. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Farley really hit it out uh, before he didn't make it. And so then there was this dead period. Uh, I think that was the Jimmy. Is it the Jimmy Fallon or is that after Wolf? Anyways, there's this three years where it was shit, unwatchable garbage, and then they start sneaking in. Uh, yeah, Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon, Rachel Dratch, and it, it, they even start off slow because it was just so oh, yeah. askew from the expectations of what. Siren Alive used to be. Yeah, definitely there was like a huge vacuum that was left. I mean, that was my sense. We're pretty aligned in that I was also allowed to watch Saturday Night Live. We also had a VCR that taped it on Saturday nights because I'm pretty sure it actually did air. I think it was 1130 is when it started, which means it would go until 1 a.m. So my parents taped it. We watched it on the Sunday afternoon kind of as a family together. I'm trying to remember. We probably began really watching it as a family around... 1990, I'm going to guess. So that was in, like you said, the Mike Myers, um, Adam Sandler, Phil Hartman, like those big heavyweights were all there. Then they kind of all left. It felt like all at once. And then you had this new cast that came on that had a couple of years before they really, I feel like, found their footing. But then you had this other, I thought, great renaissance of you had like Will Ferrell, you said Rachel Dratch, Anna Gasteyer, Chris Kattan. Um, Kristen Wiig. I'm trying to think. Uh, Chris, well, that was even later than that. But Tina Fey and Jimmy Fallon started right. doing Weekend Update, which was like, mm, this is really great. Uh, it made me care about Weekend Update for, for a while. And then definitely, yes, that was what kind of people were talking about on uh, in school on the Mondays and stuff like that. So it still had this like, I don't know, stranglehold on culture for a bit. Um, but how about uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher? What was your impression of that character? Yeah, so, created by Molly Shannon. So when uh, that, I don't even know if, yeah, if it was immediately the next generation, but when that cast came in, I think, I'm just trying to remember some of the bits that stood out, but Mary Catherine Gallagher was uh, was a big hit because her character would come out for three minutes and just be a complete fucking maniac. 
and uh, you know there'd be a minimum of one armpit smell, one crash landing jump into some shit, and then a beautiful lunge finish. It was yeah. succinct, and it was it was hilarious actually just to watch uh, Molly Shannon make a fool of herself. Uh, I mean, this is always the recurring criticism of most Saturday Night Live movies, which is like, okay, you've taken this three minute sketch and tried to stretch it to ninety minutes. And there will be debates about which ones succeed in that and which ones don't. But it is kind of hard to take what is, in effect, a either one note joke or something that can sustain a sketch to be like, uh, does this really have the legs to be a feature length film? I'm trying to remember if any of them did. Wayne's World, I guess. But uh... Wayne's World is kind of like maybe the exception. Although I, I seem to remember liking A Night at the Roxbury, but I have a feeling it probably does not hold up at all. I. That was one of my favorite dumb movies, like, you know, in that era, like I owned it on uh, VHS, but I haven't watched it in how many, like 20, 20 something years. I, I do have a soft spot for Will Ferrell, so I probably will like it. Uh, and at that time, Chris Kattan, that character, his weird monkey man character, I mean, he's just a fucking weird Mango. dude. Yeah. Um, no, no, Mango is a different one. Sorry. Uh, Peepers. Peepers was the Peepers, monkey man. Yeah. Mango's the, the, the dancing. Yeah. yeah with the, right. With the hat so offensive uh, now but uh, you know that era i, I think that's norm mcdonald and it, it's it's such a hidden miss era anyways well, yeah will will ferrell's yeah. my favorite he's great do you remember actually seeing this film when it came out i don't think i saw it in theaters i I'm pre- I, don't, I mean i don't know i don't want to admit that i'm, I'm pretty sure i watched it years later on i'm gonna some... go through your old theater stuff and be like <laughs> you lied to me S- security cameras in the yeah. in like toronto or thornhill or something no i i don't know i I thought, wait, have we watched this movie yet? No. No. Okay. So We're about to. The, the uh, machine right. told us we have to watch this. I keep getting stuck in these time loops. I'm, I'm not even sure uh, where I'm at. I think I have watched this and we'll see <laughs> after we watch it whether I agree with that assessment or not. But I have a feeling that I have watched it uh, yeah, okay. in the past. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely saw this. This was a, another rental uh, from my parents because we liked the character from Saturday Night Live. And I do recall enjoying it. But again, we're going back to me being 15, 16 years old at this time. I guess I would have been 16 at this point. And uh, I think what 16-year-old Kyle would find funny and humorous is not necessarily what uh, a 37-year-old currently is going to think about it. But who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But this is definitely a movie I have not seen in over 20 years. So who knows at this point? Let's uh, bundle together. We'll uh, you just put your triangle down. You don't, you don't need to keep holding it. And we'll go and watch the movie Superstar. Let me go thank some sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll tell you our thoughts on Superstar. I just hit things with the triangle, right? That's how you hit the triangle. You don't hit things with the triangle. Hi, everyone. It's Kyle here again. Dave is off doing something, I'm sure. But I'm here to tell you about the people who help make this show go together each and every week. Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by World on Fire, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. World on Fire is a new five-part series that takes you to the front lines of -of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia, and California. 
Recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, hosts Adrian Lamb and Mike Flanagan look at what it takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction and how communities affected by wildfires rebuild. The series examines the high costs that wildfires cause to people's health, homes, and communities. Find World on Fire on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find it online at cbc.ca slash worldonfire. This week, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's go and listen to one of our other great shows. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age, I've been obsessed with musical theater. And in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week and go through each one of his productions, show by show and song by song. You'll learn about theater history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together and it's available anywhere you get podcasts. Dave, uh, what were your thoughts on that? I think the best part is that it was under 90 minutes long. I know. Wasn't it? <laughs> Don't you wish we lived in a world where there was more sub 90 minute movies that came oh, out? Oh, man. Kyle. Makes the pain feel a lot less uh, astute or yeah. acute, I guess, when, well, when it happens. What were we just talking about? That it should have probably been left as three minutes? I think I could have handled yeah. three minutes of that. I could have handled three <laughs> minutes of that. Uh, I think we're probably aligned on this, but let's do some background information here first. So Superstar was released on October 8th, 1999. The other film that was released that day was Random Hearts, written by Kurt Ludke directed by Sidney Pollack, starring Harrison Ford, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Charles S. Dutton. Oh, those are big names. I know. Uh, Sidney Pollack, big-time director. Harrison Ford, big-time actor. It is currently rated 5.2 on IMDb. It is rated 42 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes, it is 32% with critics. That's based on 74 reviews. And then based on 64,793 reviews, the users give it a 60%. What? Which is basically like an F when you when you look at Rotten Tomatoes. If users give it a 60%, like they do not like this movie. It should be lower. It is available on only DVD. There was no Blu-ray release of this movie. You can rent it or buy it on iTunes or on Google Play Movies. And you can also stream it, at least in Canada, on Amazon Prime. Its budget was $34 million. Wow. It opened to $8 million. It would go on to make $30 million domestically. It did not have an international release. So it ended with $30 million. So a loss for the studio. That's $47 million with inflation. The plot description from IMDb is a nerdy Catholic schoolgirl, Mary Catherine Gallagher, dreams of superstardom. So that's a succinct overview of what this movie is about, that's I guess. The, that's the best part of this episode so far, that it had a very <laughs> succinct and to-the-point synopsis. Perfect. <laughs> yes. This plot features actors acting in a movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have deemed, we use a very loose definition of the word movie, uh, but there will be, yeah, right. quote-unquote, actors in it, quote-unquote, acting. Those actors include Molly Shannon as Mary Catherine Gallagher, Will Ferrell as Sky Corrigan, and also Jesus, Elaine Hendricks as Evian, and Harland Williams as Slater. So let's start with Harland Williams. 
Harlan Williams was born November 14th, 1962. His first film role was in Dumb and Dumber as a state trooper. He continued being in comedy films of the 90s, such as Down Periscope, Wag the Dog, Half Baked, and There's Something About Mary. At one time, it looked like he might become the next major comedy star, but that never really happened. However, he has worked steadily for the last 20 years. By the mid-2000 aughts, he had begun doing voice work in animated projects. The major films would be Robots and Meet the Robinsons. He's continued doing voice work in the last few years, appearing in such series as Robot and Monster, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, Skylanders Academy, and Puppy Dog Pals. Up next is Hollywood, and I need to actually read out this pun, or else I don't think it makes sense. So Hollywood, but with wood spelled W-O-U-L-D, so Ah, Hollywood. Witty. It's an animated series which is described as two out-of-work screenwriters deal with the day-to-day craziness that is Hollywood. Oh, God. Elaine Hendricks. Elaine Hendricks was born December 28th, 1970. Her first film was something called Last Dance in 1992. She'd appear in guest spots in a few TV shows such as Doogie Howser and Days of Our Lives. The late 90s would give her a few big roles in films like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, the remake of The Parent Trap, and Molly. She returned to doing TV guest appearances in the early 2000 aughts. She's continued to work up until present day. But probably her most, maybe, well-known role is as Alexis Carrington in the remake of Dynasty on TV. Her next film will be The Country Club. Its plot description is a farcical coming-of-age comedy about teen golfers competing in a country club's junior tournament. Is Molly, is Molly a, Molly Shannon? No. Or is it no, a movie has, about has MDMA? Nothing, nothing to do with anything. Dave, yeah. I'm going to send you over uh, what the machine wants you to read so you can pick up with Will Ferrell. Just going to take out my pencil and make a couple of minor edits here. Sure. Imagine me doing, you know, prep work for this now, Kyle. You've changed me. I might have done a, a quick second glance at it, but I'm pretty sure we'll discover that there is multiple grammatical mistakes. I know, it's less than I just added a few little things, but okay. Uh, and you can, you can keep them if you want, but Will Ferrell, born July 16th, 1967. After making minor guest appearances on some TV shows in the mid-90s, he was cast on Saturday Night Live in 1995. This was part of a rebuilding year after a bunch of members had left the show. He would soon become one of the standout members and a star of the show. He'd leave SNL in 2002, but has returned as a host several times. What do you think of that, Kyle? This reads better, right? I like it. It's great. It's great. He has played small parts in the Austin Powers movies, which we have already seen. Then came A Night at the Roxbury as a co-lead and some supporting performances in Dick, Zoolander, and Old School. What was that first movie again? Dick. Yeah, Dick? you hit that really nicely. I, don't, I actually have never watched Dick. That's all right. I remember it was fine. But again, haven't watched it in over 20 years, so who knows? Yeah. Yeah, Dick, Dick is fine. Is this what we're doing now? He'd then blow up and become a big fucking deal. Is that how we want to put that? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> F-bomb here. Yeah. Uh, Elf was his breakthrough as a box office star. He'd follow that up by being an anchorman, kicking and screaming, Talladega Nights, Blades of Glory, and Step Brothers. He'd also flex his dramatic chops by being in Melinda and Melinda and Stranger Than Fiction. His star is slightly faded with only the occasional hit. Shout out to the Lego movie. That was way better than I 
I thought it was going to be, but uh, it's a good movie. He had a reasonably successful stand-up stint as George W. Bush. Did you know that, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did, yeah. He was on Broadway for a bit. He would be a founding member of Funny or Die, the online comedy YouTube channel, and he's done a bunch of TV appearances, and he's recently appeared in the Between Two Ferns movie, and he's in the drama Downhill, co-starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. He's also taken a role as producer along with his friend Adam McKay, helping to make Oscar-nominated films like Vice, as well as a bunch of prestige TV. Up next, as of this recording, is going to be Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire. I've already bookmarked it on Netflix. Good for you. (laughs) Its plot description is, when aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth what? any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. Looks terrible, but I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you bookmarked it. You can watch it for the both of us. It's <laughs> I got a soft spot for him. Molly Shannon. Born September 16, 1964, one of her first roles was as a guest spot on Twin Peaks in 1991. She'd also be on five five episodes of In Living Color. She would be cast on Saturday Night Live at the same time as Will Ferrell. She left the show one year before he did in 2001. Her movie career would see her in such things as Analyze This, Never Been Kissed, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Wet Hot American Summer. The movie's actually funnier than I thought it would be. I I really love Wet Hot American Summer, mm. but you kind of have to lock into the comedy or it's, it makes a lot of people mad. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, very uncomfortable. The, the sequel is even weirder, but... Yeah. She'd constantly find work being in a handful of those Will Ferrell movies before being on 17 episodes of Kath and Kim. The last few years, she's been getting very positive reviews on the TV show Divorce. She recently appeared in the Netflix film Horse Girl. By the way, Kath and Kim, just if you don't know, is one of those situational comedies that don't really get made anymore. Or I've they ne- do, but nobody watches them. I've never heard of it, but I'm presuming there are two women in it. One mm-hmm. whose name is Kath, and the other whose name is Kim. I think it's two men, oh, weirdly. Interesting. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you had me shocked, actually. She has also recently paired up with Will in a weird bit of live TV as Cord and Tish, which is, I, I don't like it. That's okay. It's not for everyone, <laughs> but at least they seem to have fun with it. Wait a second. I thought they were just being their characters, the uh, like the two high school music makers that they played on SNL. Are you telling me that it's like a completely different set of characters? No, I think it's the same characters, but they they did the you know the the famous was the Rose Parade or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But when I googled it just now in making edits, they that thing's they've done a lot of weird stuff on the side. Well, mm. Will Ferrell does that too. He's, he has a weird subversiveness where he'll pop up in places where you don't think he should be. But uh, right. I don't know. They're having fun. They have money. They don't give a shit. And we'll talk <laughs> about privilege and being white. No, no, we won't go there. Up next is Big Deal. Its plot description is a woman overcomes childhood leukemia. Wow, that's a Latin spelling. A woman overcomes childhood leukemia to achieve her dream of becoming an on-air host at a home shopping network. It's a very Molly Shannon type of description. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's her doing that, but I would assume it is. Written by Molly Shannon and Steve Corin. Mary Catherine Gallagher was a popular character created and played by Molly Shannon during her SNL stint. Perhaps it should have ended there. Steve Corin began writing for SNL in 1991, but he also is credited for five episodes of Seinfeld. He'd write the other SNL film, A Night at the Roxbury, 
And some other credits you may be familiar with are Bruce Almighty, Click, and Jack and Jill. Your other fan, your other boy that you like, your, your uh, Adam Sandler films. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Click was okay. Jack and Jill's awful. So uh, you know Steve Corin. But Bruce Almighty is actually really funny, so I don't know how he's involved with that because uh, th- this movie wasn't. Currently, he has no upcoming films. Directed by Bruce McCulloch, born May 12, 1961. Probably he's best known as one of the core members of Kids in the Hall, at least in Canada, he will be. Uh, absolutely, yeah. He starred. Actually, I don't know. I, I know that there's certain people who know Kids in the Hall in the United States, but I just don't think it was as big down there as it was up here. I mean, so many of them kind of got into American comedy a little bit as side characters, but yeah, they a couple of them were on SNL for like a season. So, yeah, um, well, the guy that plays the 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 priest in this wasn't he there for a little bit? Yeah, um, can't remember his name. Yeah, anyways, doesn't matter. He starred and helped write all eighty-two episodes from the original run of that show, uh, of the original run of Kids in the Hall. Since we just talked too much Mm -hmm. for that sentence to make sense, he'd also write. The Kids in the Hall film. Oh, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Had the hit show, News Radio. But uh, Yeah, Dave Foley. Dave I Foley. love News Radio. It's a great it's a great show. Sadly, as we talked about again, kind of funnier. I mean, John Love is great, but uh, Phil Hartman is fucking a yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> he was the A, a team. John uh, Lovitz is who you bring in if you're like, well, I guess we have Lovitz. Who else <laughs> do we have? <laughs> We're not going to get Spade. We don't have Spade money, so let's get Lovitz. I feel like we're, at, we're in a roast now. It just feels like a Comedy Central roast. Uh, after Superstar, he'd be the director of Stealing Harvard and Comeback Season. That'd be his last film that he'd direct. But he'd move to TV to direct episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Trailer Park Boys, and six episodes of Schitt's Creek. He's currently producing and directing a new Canadian sketch show called Tall Boys. Z. With a Z. With a Z. Or Z, as they say in the States. No, y'all. no, it's Z. <laughs> Up next is a new season of Kids in the Hall, which is apparently coming 2021. That yeah. can't we'll see if, be good. We'll see. It can't be. I mean, they did a little mini series here a couple of years ago, which had, I think, a mixed reception. So I don't know how a new season of Kids in the Hall will play. I'm just trying to remember the last time I saw an episode. It's... It's kind of like I came across uh, a little bit of Monty Python from first airings, like on YouTube, and a little bit of mm-hmm. Faulty Towers. And there's moments where I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is still genius." And there's parts where I'm like, "I I don't know. I it's dated. Well, it's getting dated a little bit." Oh, 100. percent And uh, there's no way around it. It gets dated. I don't remember if I had this conversation with you, but there was a, actually an interview. I don't know if it was with Bruce or one of the other kids in the hall. I can't remember now. But they actually posed that question about why do you think people watch still will watch Kids in the Hall versus, say, Saturday Night Live sketches from, like, that same time period, just as, like, a base on sketch comedy. And he had, uh, the person that they were talking to had such an interesting response, which was, when your comedy, like Monty Python, so often veers into, like, the really weird or surreal, it has a better chance of surviving through time rather than, like, let's do a joke on Henry Kissinger because like the context goes away and people don't know who you're talking about anymore. Or like this thing that's really important in the news right now becomes not important 15 years later. So when you stay in surreal, it's weird. Not a comment, not a comment on the things that are going on in the news right now. Right, Kyle? We don't, we don't want to. We're going to get into it. Maybe, maybe in our next film, who knows? Um, Uh, But, uh, but that's the thing, right? It's like, I think surreal comedy like kids in the hall and like Monty Python, while there is absolutely stuff that, for me does not work 
there's more than enough stuff that like, oh, this actually still works because they're they're just being weird and funny and it's it's still is good. Kids and all definitely in what had the intention of pushing the envelope a lot more than SNL was allowed to. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Plus, when you air on Canadian television, you're able to get away with more stuff than what network TV in the U.S. can. I was just going to say, that's such a big point for Canada. I mean, say what mm-hmm. you will about uh, about our aboutts. Uh, about yeah. our boots. Um, anyways, this is not about uh, Kids in the Hall, but we may, can maybe talk about that. If maybe the machine will t- have us uh, review hard candy at some point, um, if we ever get to that year. So, let's rip off the band-aid. Uh, Dave, what is your review, impression, of the film superstar um you know it was awful i i think uh no but tell me how you really feel the the saving graces for me of course are uh as soon as will ferrell came on the screen as sky i I was giggling just because he's so stupid and then when he reappeared as god or jesus i was dying because uh it was the only part that i actually enjoyed there were a few moments of I mean, the whole movie's cringing, so the first few times Molly Shannon has a romantic fantasy with a tree and a signpost, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not funny, but it's like, you you can't put your eyes away because you can't understand how she'd go Mm -hmm. that far. I wish somebody would kiss me. And then uh, the rest of it was uh, garbage. It was was a bad movie. I I couldn't... Yeah, it's not bad. I don't think... I'm trying to think. I might have laughed in pity one time but that's um i I want to get into a little bit more of that i just wanted to before it leaves my mind uh will ferrell has classically said that he basically can only play three characters and so it's up to like the makeup department to make it look like it's a different (laughs) character um anyways my favorite one that he does is the way that he plays jesus yeah (laughs) that the voice that he puts on and his like mannerisms and stuff it's like hey He's yeah, all this man. really gangly and like really super bright <laughs> voice. Like, yeah, let's do this thing. I'm Jizo. Like, I, I don't know. That, that part I liked. It's Hilarious. great. <laughs> yeah. Even his, uh, even his, what is it? Sky, Silk, whatever his, uh, the guy, yeah, yeah. The hip dude. Uh, it's, the, it's the same character, but like dumber. And uh, yeah, exactly. some, some of the lines are great. Like, uh, we have to talk. I don't have time right now. And then the next day, it's like, we talked about this last night. I mean, that's, that's funny. Yeah. He probably improv that shit because there's no uh, way that the writer yeah. actually had the foresight. That's what I feel is like, I have not read the script, so there's no way for me to actually know this 100%. I think, yes, it, this starts at a script level because you have talented comedians that are a part of this. You yes. have a talented comedic director helping people out. Like It's not like these people can't be funny. I've seen other things they've been in that have been very funny. And so I think that maybe that's what it is. It's like, there was just uh, not enough time where they rushed through this or Lord Michaels really wanted to buy a new boat. So he's like, let's just get this movie in the theaters as quickly as we can. Um, For 30 and, million bucks, you yeah. think that they could make some time, but I think you're, you, you would think, I think your first comment, I don't know, just before, I, I mean, earlier in our conversation, I think when the source material is designed to get a slapstick laugh within three minutes or less, uh, stretching that out to 90 mm-hmm. there's no depth her character doesn't make any sense um, well there's no i think that is maybe the mary Catherine gallagher character i think is fascinating in in two areas where i don't think that there's really much of an arc that happens in this film for her um i think there's much more of an arc for uh like the harlan williams character right like that's kind of like the emotional arc that's going through this film but she doesn't really learn anything really until the um, last minute maybe the last minute and i think the other big thing 
in in a better film, I would say, oh, this is a very bold choice to do. But I don't think she's necessarily very nice or likable in many ways. Like she's kind of just like grotesquerie of a person. Like she's not even really a character. It, she is a sketch uh, monstrosity that's uh, you know in front of this. I was actually when we were supposed to be watching the movie, I was reading reviews, and that's basically what Roger Ebert said is like this is a vile creature that is like in this film and like there's nothing for a viewer to latch on to even like my favorite comics there's usually something there's something that's grounding it so like I can take these flights of fancy uh, and this one for me doesn't really have that uh, much at all however some things that I kind of wrote down here uh, to go through I, I didn't look it up but I have to imagine this was filmed in Canada because of the couple of Canadian cameos that pop up in this the big one being tom green uh who's throughout the movie but did you notice the other one that's there uh actor no uh i don't know if you were ever a much music viewer but oh, rick the temp rick is the in temp there in the uh, on the red on the red carpet on the red carpet for like a half second yeah you, you know what's funny about saying a shot in canada if i were watching this movie with my wife we both commented in the opening passing st- some of the street shots for the house that it looks like houses in toronto it, it just looks yeah, like I'm a street in Toronto. So. Pretty sure this is filming in Toronto yeah. is what my guess would be. Who'd want to live in Toronto? One of the, my recurring things that I've, I loved about the Mary Catherine Gallagher character, even in uh, on Saturday Night Live, though, was her references to the made-for-TV movies. And actually, growing up, I thought those were completely 100% made up. Made up. But they aren't. Actually, most of the ones that I know of now, like, no, those are actual real made-for-TV movies. And those are actual quotes from them. Yeah. So whoever writes those, which I'm assuming is Molly Shannon, uh, like has a very deep understanding of made-for-TV movies, which I think is hilarious. That's one of the missed opportunities, right? I mean, like, I've, I've actually seen Bubble Boy. If you're going to reference Bubble right, Boy, right, yeah. shouldn't there be... A bubble I think boy it's moment. boy in the bubble, actually. Boy, boy in the fun. bubble is actually what it's called. But. Um, like, but how much funnier would it have been if there was a scene where she was trapped in some kind of bubble cage? You know, like there needs to there there could have been so much. Mm-hmm. Of a more I think that thing. that maybe see this is the thing. Like we we always end up in this place of like spitballing a better made movie. Oh, no. uh, this is why they should pay us millions of dollars to script doctor things. Oh, wait, but I think the, they're but not I, getting the, paid millions of dollars oh, for this. <laughs> no, the machine takes all of it. Like it was a weird contract we signed. Legally, I own your blood. Uh, we really should have read it should before read we it. signed away ninety eight percent of our income to the Damn machine. It. There seems to be like this really obvious through a line that you have. You have this person who's obsessed with becoming a star. You have her love made-for-TV movies. So why not use the made-for-TV movie theme to like like get her to to the end where she's like, oh, like this is just like this person and I have to rise above it and like she goes on and maybe even have a cameo from one of those people that are in the movies. You have cameos from a bunch of other people, so why not? Well, I don't know if this will be in the trivia, but yeah, I read up yeah. as well in my boredom, Googling uh, mm-hmm. that the grandma... It's interesting. I, I, the only thing I don't want to watch this movie again, but I did notice in one of the climactic scenes, the grandma's watching herself on television, and I have a suspicion that everything she's watching is a movie that she was in. But uh, uh, could be. Um, that grandmother is Glynis Johns, yeah. which I wrote down. Glynis Johns with three exclamation points behind it. Mary Poppins. Yeah, she is the mother of a Mary Poppins. Yeah, uh, but. There's also one of two Stephen Sondheim references that are in this uh, in this yeah. movie. She originated the role of Desiree Armfelt in a musical called A Little Night Music, which uh, most people don't know about. But you will absolutely well, you'll probably know the major song that came out from Sing that, it. which was "Send in the Clowns." 
Ah. So sending the clowns came from a little night music and uh, became sometimes like biggest hit they ever wrote came I'm from not, that show, which is how, weird. How does it go, Kyle? It calls goes uh, sending the clowns. Mm. That doesn't sound like music. Could you <laughs> could you sound- give me could you give me a little like a note? I could I could I could hum a, a starting. Uh, Isn't it rich? Aren't we a pair? <laughs> You hear it? Anyways, it doesn't matter. That's uh, sending the clowns. I prefer Starlight Express. Uh, but the other one, the movie she's actually watching, I, I, I should double check. I don't know if she's actually in that movie. Maybe she is, but that's Gypsy. She's watching the film version of Gypsy, which was another Sondheim show that, that he wrote back in the day. So it, weird that there's like these couple of Sondheim references. She also gets to say the one F word in this PG-13 movie, which is fun too. This would also be Glenn Johns' last movie she would ever appear in. So, uh, and she's still alive. She's 97, still alive and uh, still kicking. Virility. Definitely this is like your favorite thing of being like a film is a period piece. Like every 90s film is now a period piece. Uh, but definitely is uh, you have her basically having her after school job of being the rewind girl. A, that job doesn't exist anymore and video stores don't even exist anymore. So like that's a double whammy uh, that goes on there. I think that, that the biggest one for me is what another reviewer said. And I wish I could remember. I don't think this was Ebert. I think it was somebody else. Actually, yeah, it was someone on uh, Letterboxd who I have now forgotten who they are. So I can't give proper credit. But what they were saying was... The PG-13 actually kind of ruins this film. I think it, it's fighting in itself of like staying within that rating where it's like either go full like R-rated and just go like raunchy and gross or stay like super peppy, happy, almost like um like a Mean Girls or uh, something like that or Easy A or something like that where you could stay maybe a PG. I actually don't know what they're rated, but something like that, which is not like aggressively r-rated or anything like that but a little bit more preppy and, and fun and it never seems to really strike that balance i can't remember if there were r-rated comedies at this era or if it was like hangover or something that changed that uh because no matter how dark a comedy could be the idea of a comedy being like so in some of these moments where she's really going off you know and yeah. to extend that yeah i'm trying to think of a like I'm sure there's someone comedy. could come in and, and give me an example. R-rated comedy. From what I remember, the only time you could get an R-rated comedy, quote unquote, was if it was like paired with another genre. So like Beverly right. Hills Cop, right? Right. But that's an action comedy, right? Right. It's not just a straight comedy could be R-rated. Right. But that's that's an interesting thing to think about. I, I would be interesting mm-hmm. to think... I mean, to find out, is, is Beverly Hills Cop an R-rated movie? Well, it's not like I have a computer sitting right here in front of me. No, I mean, uh, you, build, you build the sentient machines, but you don't have Google. So, you know, we'll yeah, just move on to uh, the next point. No, let's, <laughs> l- l- no let's, let's, let's stop the show dead because you need to know. So Beverly Hills Cop came out in 1984, rated 18A in Canada. So it would be mm-hmm. rated R in the United States. Okay. I mean, it's, yeah, that's pretty... It's a hilarious movie, but yeah, there's actually yeah quite a lot of cocaine use, and there's prostitutes and uh, strippers. Uh, that's that's G rated to me, buddy. That's G rated to me. Honestly, it is now. Uh, <laughs> it feels like that, don't you think? There's some stuff that Emerson's watching that's classed Y seven, where I have to like take a pause. I mean, it's not cocaine and strippers, but you're kind of like it's like so, wow, Sesame Street has really changed in some of the since themes, I've been able to man. see it. You know, the idea of a child's adventure has changed quite dramatically. Big Bird's addicted to crack. <laughs> it's just like... Anyways. Um, <laughs> That's how it sees Snuffleupagus all the time. Uh, I, You know, one of the things, I mean, speaking about rewriting this movie, I think 
one of the hardest things visually, and this is such a mean thing to kind of say, is that everybody's too old. And I feel like that could be a good bit if all of the secondary uh, support characters were teenagers or uh, played by younger people so that it was quite a dramatic thing. So like if everybody's, you know, let's say early, because like, it's the nice early 20s, but then Will Ferrell's clearly in his 40s and he's like the hot jock and Molly Shannon's mm-hmm. best friends in the, you know, the nerd class are all high schoolers. I mean, even the, the horny dude, uh, I mean, look, he, he doesn't come off as a teen. He comes off like a pedophile. He, he looks disgusting. Right. But if you had like, uh, like I, I'm suddenly thinking of like School of Rock, like you have like a kid actor to just f- give us a frame of how old this character is supposed to be. Because it almost looks like just a bunch of remedial adults in a high school, you know, saying Yeah, I'm wondering shit. if, because you could have them all be old like we just talked about wet hot american summer that's exactly what they do every adult there yeah exactly so everyone is playing a kid but is actually old right (laughs) like that that's the kind of the conceits you have to walk into to like accept that movie on on its face whereas i like that idea where they're the only old ones or i just wonder if it was just a mistake from the first place to set this in high school yeah, I mean that's what that's what Mary Catherine Gallagher is. But I wonder if maybe Molly Shannon felt like she had to play the character, or if she could have just given this off to an actual teenager well, and let her and let it actually be a movie about with teenagers in those roles. I, yeah, I mean, it, speaking about how she's the character has no redeeming qualities. You know, even in the opening sequence with her younger self, it would have been an interesting idea if they were interested in focusing on Mary Catherine Gallagher as a character to have a story about why she is who she, she is, is instead yeah. of just assuming that this is who she's always been and mm-hmm. somehow we give a shit and we want to see her succeed. Cause I, di- I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. And you're right. The Harlan character with whatever his cool, <laughs> cool motorcycle dude character's name is, uh, um, he's much more watchable and Slater, by the way, Slater, Slater, of course, he's much more watchable in that role. And he, and you know, when he walks in the classroom, it's quite jarring because yeah. <laughs> there's no way he's a high school student. It's hilarious. Right? Well, that, all of them are in their late thirties or mid thirties yeah, at, at this point. point. So it's just like, oof. So yeah, even if Molly Shannon has to, and she should have been the star. I mean, I don't think any other human being could be Mary Kathleen Gallagher. Just uh, mm-hmm. her energy level is insane. There's just something about it. The tone is, it just feels so awkward. Uh, well, it's awkward, and I think also maybe uh, attributed to it being based on a sketch. I also never felt like any of the scenes really fit with one another. No. It felt like it just kept bouncing around, like, oh, okay, now we're into this other place. Like, never, nothing ever felt like it was leading from one scene to the next. It was like, oh, this is a scene, a sketch, and then this is another scene, a sketch. And maybe that's that, maybe that is true with this guy, like, cutting his teeth on Saturday Night Live for like the previous eight years to this. It was like, I'm used to writing sketches. And that's what it feels like every scene is a sketch. Instead of it feeling like a real movie. Now that you brought it up, because, you know, Bruce McCullough is going to have that mindset too, because this is coming out of Kitson Hall. It actually makes sense that it might have been written as like 43 minute bits, you know, (laughs) that they shaved down and tried to stitch together. Because, yeah, it from moment to moment, even like the Will Ferrell parts where I'm laughing, they're not continuous because it makes sense in the context of the movie. Right. He just appears, does something hilarious, and then you walk away from it. And uh, and then you have to deal with 15 minutes of uh, of Molly Shannon doing something. Something. It doesn't matter. It, it, it is interesting to see, though, because really, Will Ferrell in this movie is not really the co-lead. Like, he's no. there. He's a supporting actor. 
but like he's on the poster. His name is above the title. If you look at the, uh, the DVD art and that's based really on all the stuff that came after this. This is him very at the very beginning of his career. So it's fascinating to see like he is not really the co-lead in this and yet he's treated as he, as if he is I wonder, in, in the marketing at least. Yeah. I wonder if we, if we could get a time machine and see the actual, I mean, I, I bet this movie wasn't marketed very heavily anyways, just mm, yeah. the way that it might've come out. But my memory of it, and this is just an infused thing is like a, a yellow picture with Molly Shannon on it. I, other than if you Google it now looking for this movie, Will Ferrell will appear on it because he's, you know, he's a household name in my opinion anyways. But uh, I wonder if that time, yeah, he, he doesn't even come up in the billing because uh, he's just a Saturday Night Live character actor who came yeah. in, played a fool, and everybody realized, you know, this guy's got something. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing, I guess it would have been, it probably would have been starting in this season of Saturday Night Live that was currently on the air, would probably have been his first time playing George W. Bush. Like, we're talking about he's just on the cusp of, like, breaking through with that character, and then eventually <laughs> uh, into movies and stuff like that. So it's so wild to, like, we're at the very early onset of his career. This is also the generation of SNL. I mean, I hated Jimmy Fallon for this because uh, he's the worst when he was on SNL. But this was the this was the beginning of the continuous breaking. Like right, which by the way, Lord Michaels hates. Of course, he really dislikes it when people break. Yeah, but the, this is the beginning. Like even when Fred Armisen shows up and Kristen Wiig shows up, I mean, it almost started to feel like I was only watching it to see when somebody would break. Because uh, right. It just got, yeah, silly. And I think that started with Will Ferrell because when he, like you said, I don't think he's only got three characters, but once he gets into a mode and if you're standing in front of him and he's playing that Jesus character, how do you stay, how do you stay on point? He, he's such yeah. a buffoon. Um, so that's what I find is the only saving grace of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too bad. Like I say, it's filled with like good actors. Um, yeah. There's smart people behind this. It just is, I think, fails as a movie. I think there's a couple of, like you said, like the the, the Will Ferrell uh, character of Jesus. Uh, I actually love Glynis Johns in her very reduced role as the grandmother. Yep. Uh, like old timey actress, like being brought into the modern day, at least at that time. So there's a couple of elements, but overall, I, this, the, I, there's not much else to say, really. It's just, it's not a good movie. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. just, it's not a good movie. Uh, is it Mark McKinnon? No. Who, who's the. Mark McKinnon was, yeah, it was another kids in the hall. And I think he was the one who came on as a cast member for okay. a bit. No, then who's playing the priest? It's a different... No, is that... No, that's not Mark McKinnon. Anyways... Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that Mark, is Mark McKinnon. Like, that priest character is, is such a Kids in the Hall character. Yes, and, 100%. Uh, I feel like and there were some moments that were actually kind of funny with him, but they're drawn away because... Actually, him eating the dry toast. Oh, my God. That was... I mean, that by itself is great, but, like, again... It's like a small sketch in like this weird amalgamation of a movie. I think I wrote down that that's such a great metaphor of watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> Just but, eating a piece of dry toast. Burnt dry toast and looking like the look on his face. And then, uh, you know, he's like... So who broke the good toaster? You know, like it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how perfect is that as a summary of this movie? We're done here. All right. The machine has told us that we need to wrap up here. Uh, not much for trivia here this week. Uh, all I can tell you, Dave, is that the name of the town in which they live is called Besame Heights. Besame means kiss me in Spanish. Ah, Besame Mucho. That was a, that was a song. Besame, Besame was it? Mucho. Yep. Was that also one of the night music? Was that one of the other songs? <laughs> Uh, I'm trying uh, to remember why I know that, but it's probably in a movie somewhere. 
Dave, here are some, there's one trivia for you to read. Every car seen in the movie, with the exception of the opening sequence, is either a lime green or black new Volkswagen Beetle. The cars in the opening sequence are all classic VW Beetles. I, I was so distracted. I, not something I noticed, no. actually. I would never have noticed that. <laughs> I was so distracted by how much I didn't want to be watching this. I didn't even notice there were cars in it. I just, uh, <laughs> I saw the motorcycle. Yeah, there was a motorcycle in it. Which was also a VW bug, weirdly <laughs> enough. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that brings us to having to rate this film, Dave. We uh, have this entire list going on about what our top movies of the year 1999 are, the ones that the machine is giving to us and that makes us, it forces us to rate these each and every week. If you want to see the full list, you can do so by going to Letterboxd, our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. There'll be a link in the show notes of course. And then KDVSTM, that's Kyle Dave versus the machine, will also be uh, where you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter. Dave, what are you going to rate this film out of five? Well, I mean, it's it's at least a solid one. But I, I kind of want to give it 1.5 just because I like Will Ferrell. I, I know he's only in it for probably less than 10 minutes of screen time. But mm -hmm. I, if I could just slice out those frames that he's in, in uh, you know, he's great in it. So I, I I'm going to go with a one. Fuck, I should stay at a one maybe, but I'm going to go with a 1.5. 1.5 before the feral quotient. Um, I'm being, I think, probably epically nice to this movie because I don't like it, but it's not. Maybe I'm just basing it on the other films we've seen this year. It's just not as aggressively awful as some of the other ones <laughs> that I've had to sit through. So I'm giving it a 2.5 is mm. what I'm giving this. So. Uh, not good, but there are a couple elements, but I'm probably never going to watch this film ever oh, God, again. No, no. Like, never again. That means that that averages to a two, which means it's tied. It is tied currently, then, with Varsity Blues. Do you think this movie is better or worse than Varsity Blues? Worse. Yeah, categorically yeah. worse than Varsity Blues. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to agree with that. So, that means that entering our list at number 21 is Superstar. Superstar. We should also probably see what we're going to be reviewing next week. Let me just push this button here. Oh, it looks like another comedy, hopefully better than, than this one. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen this. Drop Dead Gorgeous is going to be our film that we're going to watch next week. Have you ever seen Drop Dead Gorgeous? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on the name. Yeah, I don't even, I don't know if I even know what that is about. I, so uh, I look forward to it. I have to start questioning the machine. I thought we were supposed to be watching hits hits <laughs> i don't know if it ever mentioned hits it just said hits. movies from 1999 <laughs> I, I, we, I, missed, I, I, we missed red violin for this shit man i i'm, I'm pretty bitter you and the red violin <laughs> it's a good God, movie you should marry watch it. it already you know right. go watch it kyle and then next i've week, seen it i've seen the red violin all right it's a good movie Some better Canadian than superstar <laughs> better than superstar <laughs> well yes it's better than superstar we can agree on that point Okay, well, I guess we should continue practicing. So I hit things with the triangle. No, you, you hit the triangle. You don't hit things with the triangle. No, it's, I don't get it. Mm -hmm.